I think that's uh, <laughs> I think that's it. Right then, episode two. Shall we? How are we going to do this one then? I love <clears throat> sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's how this podcast needs to start. <laughs> I love sleep. Also, it's my favourite thing. And it has not been a thing for a really freaking long time. Hi, and welcome to episode two of Mum Talk with me, Ali, and my wonderful co-host, Emma. Hello, welcome back. So this week on the podcast, we are going to talk all things sleep. And I feel like if there is any way to bond mums, it's talking about sleep. For sure, yes. And I, I love sleep. It is one of my favourite things. It's just not a thing anymore at all. It is not a thing. So Amandine is four now and Elwood is 18 months. So sleep hasn't really been a thing for at least 18 months because what I can say is Amandine, I've been in both places actually. Amandine was a brilliant sleeper. We got to a stage where she was a brilliant sleeper and Elwood has just been the most horrendous sleeper and I know Isla's struggled with sleeping too right oh my god (laughs) yeah I think no it doesn't matter what anyone says to you like nothing really prepares you for it um she was actually quite sleepy baby right at the beginning and then she hit the I I don't know how I feel about this term but like the four month sleep regression Mm. um is it a regression I don't know is it or is it a progression is it a regression? Is it a progression? Is it just freaking infant sleep, which is kind of all over the place? But it did happen at around four months. And uh, she started just, yeah, waking up really, really regularly. And it kind of has been the same ever since. Um, we've definitely gone through phases where things have evolved a bit. And around two years old, um, she did. we had the first few nights where she slept the night through. Um, and I guess sometimes, oh, I'm off on one, aren't I now? It's sort of, can you tell? It's like a subject I'm very passionate about. But um, I think, you know, sometimes I felt like, is this because of my choices? Is this because I breastfed? Is this because I didn't sleep train? And what? how do we even feel about sleep training? What even is sleep training? I think there's just so much there and so much kind of societal pressure yeah, it's a big subject. Did you seek any kind of help with infant sleep? With Amandine, yes, towards the point where Elwood was about to arrive, if my memory serves me correctly, I think, because there was a point where she just started waking up multiple times a night. She'd walk into our room. There would be nothing wrong. She would just want to be comforted in some way, and we would then take her back into her room. We never, we, we co-slept in a way of she was next to me for the first seven months of life um but I never actually had Amandine in the bed because she didn't actually seem to like it um but then yeah she just all of a sudden started waking up and wanting to be in the bed and was going backwards and forwards and it was at that point where a sleep therapist was listening to the podcast actually and she reached out to me and said can I help you can can I please offer you my services which was incredibly kind and I feel incredibly incredibly privileged to have had that opportunity um and she gave us a few key key things you know Amandine was definitely eking out bedtime so she would say you know we'd read three books and then it would be one more one more or bath time would take like 30 minutes and <laughs> the sleep therapist basically said the whole of bedtime needs to take a maximum of 45 minutes whereas ours was taking you know like 
close to two hours, I would say, from start to finish of bedtime. Um, With Elwood, did I seek any help? No, I don't think I did because I had so many so many friends who had been through exactly the same thing. And I just thought, you know what, this is normal. This is very normal. And like I was, I, I was just saying, um, I have had both. I, and I remember almost feeling guilty when talking about Amandine's sleep with other mums because her sleep was so good. Amandine loved routine. Elwood didn't. Yeah. So, and that made a huge difference because, you know, Amandine loved the fact that she had specific times for naps. But actually, mentally, for me, that was really challenging because it meant she loved her cot so much. I couldn't leave the house when she was little. So I felt completely stuck. And I'd have friends meeting up and I wouldn't be able to go because I knew that if Amandine didn't nap at the time that she was so used to napping in her cot, there wouldn't be a nap and it would be a disaster. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it would almost be unfair to her not letting her nap because she just really loved routine. Whereas Elwood, yeah. you know, you could put him down in his nap one day, in his cot one day, and he'll sleep like an angel. The next day you'll, or the next two, three days, you'll go and put him down and he'll sleep for 10 minutes. And you're just like, well, why did I hang around at home when you were going to yeah. sleep for 10 minutes? And also you can't do that with two because no. otherwise we'd never leave the freaking house. <laughs> no, I could never, ever. I, Isla never did a nap in a cot. Never. She was either strapped to me in a being walked or um, asleep on me in bed. Um, but every nap, I feel like every single sleep and every nap was hard fought. And even still now it is. Mm-hmm. And we dropped her nap ages ago. She's two and a half, but she was a bit of an outlier, I think, and was ready for the nap drop, like the last nap to go really early on. Mm-hmm. That's been quite a killer because she's just... Um, awake all day <laughs> and then doesn't want to go to bed either so uh yeah. so we've had to persuade Amandine with movies to drop her nap and that is just how polar opposite kids can be isn't it yes they're so different they're, they're so, so different, different because... there's just no one size fits all solution yeah. to this at all there's so many people tell you there are yeah and I just don't think that's right. Also, I remember a neighbour saying to me really early on, and um, she was like, how are you? I'm like, I'm so tired. Oh, my baby doesn't sleep. And, uh, and, you know, everyone else's baby seemed to sleep through the night. And she was like, oh, no, people lie. People mm. lie to you. She was like, I don't know why. And I don't know why they do, but they don't tell you the truth. And also everyone's take on sleeping through the night is different. Like for some people that might be, okay, they had a final feed at midnight and they slept till five, they've slept mm. through the night. Mm. Or some people have an expectation that will be seven till seven, mm. um, which is, yeah, never really been for us. <laughs> no. So Elwood last night, oh no, the night before last, he woke up at 11 but I go to bed at nine. So I had to wake up to get up. <laughs> so for me, that's not sleeping through the night because I didn't sleep through the night because I had to haul my ass. <laughs> no. <laughs> and then I don't know. Put him back to sleep. Do you know what? I do actually remember coming to see you guys and, um, you managing to like your bath time, you know, it's like bath time into the car and she went down Oh, you put her in like drowsy but awake. That was a thing. Did I? That, Ooh, yeah, God, she I was freaking awake. And uh, I remember thinking like, 
I, I can't even remember if I'd had I hadn't it was before I had Isla but mm. I was like this seems incredible and uh yeah she just kind of chilled sung to herself and then went off to sleep but yeah that <laughs> yeah I remember being very impressed <laughs> oh thank you well that has not happened with Elwood ever um which is why you know I have been on both both sides of it feeling really guilty talking to or not feeling like I could actually be part of the conversation around sleep with Amandine because I felt like I was always going oh well Amandine is sleeping okay and and I just felt like I you know no one wants to hear that when you have a baby that sleeps like shit um but with Elwood it's been completely different he slept incredibly well until eight weeks and then at eight weeks he rolled so I had to take him I know he's just the most insanely strong baby. He basically came out of my womb with holding his head up, essentially. Like walking, <laughs> you yeah, wander basically. out. <laughs> I mean, I wish he did. That would have been great, but no. Aww. From the moment I took him out of his swaddle, which was actually when we just got back from France, his sleep went so downhill. And it was only a couple of weeks ago where he started sleeping through the night. And we're actually in France right now. And he slept maybe through the night once so far. Yeah. And the rest of the times he's woken up. So it's really give or take. But yeah, that must be tough. If you've experienced um, a unicorn baby, <laughs> you don't mind me calling it that. Mm. We've got one next door as well. I just think there's not many of them around. I think when I hear what you're saying about El- Elwood, that sounds much more familiar to me and um yeah, not that it helps, to be honest. I don't know if it helps when you're like absolutely exhausted and people are like, it's normal. But then I think sometimes the expectation that it's going to be different uh, mm. somehow is mm. that's hard too, if that makes sense. Um, Completely. But yeah, I, that that does sound, um, it does sound pretty normal. And maybe that's where I hope there will be more conversation around what is normal for people. Because I feel like there's these high expectations on us to... Uh, I mean, I've, I'm off on one. She's off again. There have been times where I've felt quite political about the whole thing. And I've just been like, what is this? What is this whole, like, get our babies out of our rooms, out of our beds, into separate spaces? Um, and uh, all of that, ultimately, is it is it to, about productivity? Like, get us all, get babies sleeping, get women back out. To, well, I don't know, as I'm saying that, get women back out to work. But sometimes it feels like that's not really the goal either. Um, yeah, it's a tough one. But um, it just feels it, it very much in our culture, but not, not really the more I look into it in other cultures. Mm-hmm. But there's almost shame around um co-sleeping and uh you know safe co-sleeping and I wish in a sense that there was just more information on how to do it safely rather than it be um the sort of pressure to uh, yeah have get your baby sleeping through the night from crazy early age which for most of our kids is just not going to be our experience I don't think and then you end up feeling terrible about yourself Mm. I think it'd be more their end of mine (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't agree more because when I had uh, Amandine, you know, I, I I didn't follow as much as I did on social media. And I think I actually said this uh, in last week's podcast was that, you know, I've, I've almost turned off a lot of that noise in the background um, of, you know, specialists or, you know, whatever they might call themselves telling me how my child should be at a particular age and how they should be sleeping, where they should be sleeping, what they should be doing, how they should be acting. Because... I really started to lose touch with what sat well with me and what I wanted rather than what I should 
be doing in their eyes or in society's eyes. And you're completely right. You know, it ju- it just seems, com- you know, it seems odd now to think, well, why would I not feed Elwood to sleep if he's having a tough night? Or why would I leave him to cry in the middle of the night and not breastfeed him when I'm still able to, because I can comfort him in that way. And I feel incredibly privileged to comfort him that way. Saying that, however, what I wanted to say really early on in the podcast was that every single family will do is what is sustainable for them and what how they can continue life with the level of sleep deprivation that they're facing. I certainly got to a point with Elwood maybe four months ago where what I was doing, which was going in four, five times a night and feeding him to sleep every single time became no longer sustainable for me. I I could not do it. I mean, I was waking up when he woke up and just this feeling of dread and exhaustion and literally not being able to pull my body out of bed that was my point when I, when I thought this, this is going to go two ways. I'm either going to break and I, I won't be able to be of any use to him or Amandine either, or I need to put something in place now to enable me to actually function. Mm. Um, and that was when we started, I, I started to try and really cut out feeding to sleep at the night feeds and um, try and put, put a blocker in between. So doing feed and then um, books and then songs and then bed, you know, really trying to instill that. And we did do a little bit of crying, you know, because it wasn't, he wasn't crying, crying. It was just the kind of, oh, really, do you have to do this? You know, he was at the age where we could really associate and sorry, differentiate between his cries. I'm going off on one now. (laughs) No, you're not. How old was he at that point? I think, I think this was about four months ago. So 14, 15 months. Yeah. So I just feel listening to you I so agree it's like we've got to do sometimes I feel like the what has become available to us in terms of support tends to be more this is what you should be aiming for and this these are the awake windows sleep windows all this kind of assistance but what I feel like maybe is missing sometimes is is the kind of support that brings you closer to your own instincts again, Mm. like you're saying, and able to tune into what, yeah, what you want and what's right for you and what's right for your family, rather than to have a sort of imprint of, uh, I don't know, maybe for some people having, uh, being given a schedule actually is is really helpful, but I just, yeah, with when there's a lot of noise and a lot of information coming from different places, maybe family members who've had different experiences, everybody's experience with all of this is different. Just anything that brings you closer to your own wisdom has got to be has got to be helpful. Um, and I've God, I really relate to the uh, you know nighttime when I was still feeding Isla at two years, and I do think being a pandemic baby was part of that. I don't think I fed. Mm-hmm would have necessarily gone on for as long as I did um but I was home and I was able to do it and there's a lot of comfort in that for both of us I think um but I got to the point of probably aversion actually where I was really feeling this like irritation in my body I was mm. so tired that I was like I'm I'm really yeah finding the sensation of it all quite irritating and um I had to do something. So I spoke to an amazing, an amazing uh, lactation consultant at that point, Emma Pickett, uh, who's on Instagram. And she's she was great. And yeah, I feel like she's one of those people who helped me 
check in. Basically, the very first thing with her was to kind of really download where I was at, what was going on, how I felt about the journey, how I felt about at that point was like Isla was about to turn two and I wanted to really think about night weaning because I hadn't looked at that at all. Um, and again, it was at that point, it was just so tired that it was like all roads were leading to, if I do this, might I get a little bit more sleep? Might mm. I get, might, yeah, what would happen? Yeah, night weaning was quite um, profound for me in a funny sort of way because I'd been feeding on demand for so long. Um, I... We and she was at an age, she's a really good communicator. She was at a point where we could talk about it and kind of reason about it a little bit. And I'd read her, I had a book that I read her for you know a week or two before we started that started to sow the seeds of this chapter coming to an end. And then, but all, but I think what Emma helped me through was that we didn't ever do uh cry it out or anything like that I didn't let her cry because it just never sat right with me at all um but what Emma sort of helped me through from my recollection was the fact that my role in life wasn't to take away all perceived negative emotions and that she could experience sadness and she could feel the loss of the end of uh, night feeding and that my role was actually just to be there for her through those emotions Um, and that felt right to me it's like that made sense so in a way like then we started to learn as a little you know our little duo Um, and also David too you know this stuff sort of filters through um, by osmosis I think Um, but yeah she's uh, I realized that I could sit with her through her tears and talk her through it and, and, and had to find other ways to comfort her. Um, and that really helped. That's kind of helped with my parenting actually across the board, because I realized I don't want her to, I you know can't have a situation where she never feels sad and she never feels mm. sorrow or um, never misses anything or all of that. She's allowed to miss breastfeeding, but I'm going to cuddle her through it really. There. Mm. Yeah. Aww. So lovely. So lovely. Um, I wanted to draw back on something you said, actually, because I think it's such a valid point and we can potentially take it a little bit deeper because our parents and what they did, we're now almost reevaluating that and Mm. trying to decide what we want to take from our upbringing and bring, bring that to how we raise our children. So even from the instance of when you know I'll never forget when Amandine when we brought Amandine home and you know I'm not sure if you're new listening here you may not know but Hendrik is an airline pilot so you know he does all hours of the day work and when Amandine came home he had his two weeks paternity leave but sleep is incredibly we're talking about sleep but sleep is incredibly important to Hendrik and we both agreed there was no uh, point in us both being awake at the same time so he actually went out of the the room um, and went and, and slept elsewhere um, we're very lucky that we had a spare room that he could do that with but that worked for us but I'll never forget when I told mum what was happening she was like well that's not normal well you two should be sleeping in the same bedroom why, why isn't he in the same room he should be pulling his weight he should be doing everything I'm like yeah but mum <laughs> He's going back to, you know, his job, which is really dependent on him getting sleep. Nobody wants to be flown by a pilot who has had a couple of hours sleep or, you know, a sleep deprived pilot, do they? I mean, I sure wouldn't. No, (laughs) I think you're right. 
I have to own up to something. I have to own up to something. I do remember you telling me that as well really early on. I'm gonna, are you going to hate me? But I remember oh thinking God. as well, like, oh, he should ha- he should be there. She should have that. I did. I had that. I made that judgment too. I have to admit, I did. I did in that moment. I was like, just wanting you to have, wanting to know that you were supported. Cut to uh, a few <laughs> years later <laughs> and uh, our sleep situation is ridiculous. Um, like David was awesome right at the beginning because I had a C-section. So I couldn't mm. lift her in and out of the cart um, to feed. And so he was so hands-on that, and we were in this sort of crazy, he had jaundice as well. We were in this um, oh. crazy routine of like feeding, pumping, um, but giving a top-up bottle, all kinds of things for the first couple of weeks, so a few weeks. So he was absolutely on it because I just couldn't physically do it. But then, yeah, you just, Mm. that was what was right for our family right then. That was what we needed. As time's gone by, he's going to, he's going to hate me for this. Oh, I don't, I feel bad. I feel bad. He's snores. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, David, I love you. I love you. Please don't be cross. I said this out loud. Um, And it just got to a point where we all just need sleep. So what he, what would happen is he, She'd wake up, he'd kick off the snoring and start. I'd be like, David, just David, please, please stop. Um, and all of this, like, and then he'd get woken up. Um, and so none of us were getting good night's sleep. So, yeah, more often than not, we don't sleep in the same room and it's not what we want. And it's not, we know it's not forever. Mm. We have to find other ways, uh, other times of the day to connect um, and other ways to connect. But it's, you know, we managed to get pregnant with a second one. So it's not being impossible. You get imaginative. But it's just not, uh, yeah, it's, um, you, we, again, we do what's right for us. And I'm sorry that at, in that moment I did have that moment of judgment because, yeah, I shouldn't have please, que- questioned the decisions that you are making as a little family. But don't apologise because there are many times and there have been many times where I have yearned for that level of support but it just isn't the way our life is. Um, you know, just as much as having your child not sleep past 12 months when maybe you have to go back to work isn't doable. You know, I Absolutely. think about all of these incredible, incredible mothers, parents, fathers, you know, whoever's going back to work, if that is what you're doing, you know, I follow this amazing um, doctor and her child does not sleep through the night, yet she is working night shifts, day shifts. And I'm like, how, how do you get out of bed in the morning and go to work when you've been up with your child half the night? You know, at least I have the luxury of working from home and doing little bits here and there, being able to really freely choose the times that I work when it works for me. Yeah, I think it's important um, to recognise that, isn't it? And even if I ever ever seem like because I didn't do sleep training, because I went more down down the co-sleeping road, feeding to sleep, contact naps, all the naps were contact naps. Sometimes I think that was a luxury in a way that I was able to do that. I'm a freelancer on my work situation is quite erratic and um so I've been able to do that and make that call but that because that was right for me but uh, I would never want to criticize a parent that goes do you know what I've got we have got to get this child into a routine I've got to be in a routine because I'm a doctor I've got to go to work tomorrow I'm doing crazy shift work or Mm -hmm. I just can't my mental health can't take this because you've got got to put your own oxygen mask on Mm -hmm. first I think 
there's any message to come out of this, I feel like you, we just got to connect with what what feels right for us, really. And and mm. that is really it's as simple as, but it, it's not always easy at all because also I feel like sometimes it's easy to feel like, oh, I'm failing because mm. I've not um, yeah. achieved this. You know, I remember feeling it a bit, you know, going a bit off piece, but around potty training. <laughs> It's like, ah, oh. and that was close to home. That was more sort of parents and everybody, not in meaning it, but just like, oh, when are you going to do it? Should we start, you know, and sort of starting it really early or the sooner than I was ready for and all of that. And I had a real moment of feeling like, have I screwed this up? Have I left it too late? Have I let her down? I remember feeling like I've let her down because I was so, um, erratic with it over the summer and I was like damn it everybody said do it over the summer when they can run around um and actually I couldn't because I was early pregnancy and feeling like hell mm. made that decision a few weeks ago we were like I think it's time I think she's ready and within a few days it's just following her lead it was just kind of done and oh, she's amazing. like oh, amazing yeah she was just ready I mean I, also with Isla it's <laughs> just always going to be at her own pace I can't impose a, a regime on this child because she is a, a proper free spirit and a strong personality I wanted to pull it back to um what we were talking about with regards to sleep and we mentioned very briefly the impact that that can have on relationships because I was listening or I, I actually haven't listened to it yet but I listened to a very small snippet which popped up on my Instagram because I follow Anna Whitehouse um who is who does the Dirty Mother Pucker podcast and she was talking to Kate Lawler um about just the I don't know if you saw it flash up on your Instagram but just the level of carnage essentially having a baby can do to your relationship and I really do want to listen and if you know if, if anyone's listening to our podcast do go and, and have a listen because you know she was saying that no one prepares you for that nobody prepares you you know we we were married in a catholic church in France um Hendrix family is catholic we had uh we had to have marriage or pre-marriage counseling essentially before we got married something that we had to do <laughs> and I kind of feel like in a way there should be a little bit of that prior to having a baby because nobody nobody talks everyone says oh you know your baby's made out of love this is just such a magical time but actually it's a really fucking hard time it is not a magical time when it comes to your relationship you are so strained in every element of your being and highly likely very uncomfortable very irritable you know especially immediately after birth whatever birth you have had all of it all of the feels all, all of the feels of yeah it's so much it's funny you said that I think I did touch on it uh, last time yes. in the last episode but we did have counseling uh, when mm -hmm. I was pregnant we decided to do it because we'd meant to do it when we were uh, getting married and didn't have time because um, we weren't doing that through a church or anything we just decided that we were going to see a couple's counsellor and just as a preemptive um, mm -hmm. so we did do it in early pregnancy and I'm really glad that we did it has been really helpful it didn't mean we didn't we went through any less it's still you know is a really stirring time but it just meant we had somewhere 
to we had a port in the storm mm. I think when things did get tricky and when we were under a lot of stress when Isla had her allergic reactions and things which we'll talk some more about um in future episodes I'm sure but she had anaphylaxis um at a very little age uh yeah and at that point we were like okay what do we do what are our resources oh yeah we can do this and mm. I'm yeah I'm so glad but it's not the norm and it's not I don't know what made us think of doing it um, and we again, we were like fortunate to be able to find a way to do it privately because it's not going to be something that's um, openly available. So we were really lucky. But yeah, I wish there was more at that point. Mm-hmm. But you'd opened that door, hadn't you, prior to having a baby? Whereas I feel like, you know, it, when all of your time is taken up with this newborn, as it quite rightly should be, neither you or your partner, your husband, you know, whoever are going to be thinking, okay, yeah, let's uh, try and find a therapist and let's try and go to counselling because there just isn't the time necessarily to do that research and find that that space to go and and do that. And also who's looking after the newborn, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like you need to kind of, I think, yeah, establish that rapport with somebody and we were lucky that we already had mm. that so we knew who to call. But um, not to say, you know, that they can't, I think the therapists are really good at creating that mm. connection quite rapidly. And especially if you're in crisis, it's just so worth it. But yeah, even having the support of, like you said, someone to hold the baby while you do that and have that little time as a couple, you know, I don't think we've been on, I think we've been on two dates since we had Isla. I think we went to the theatre once and we've been out for dinner and I miss that. I do. I went out with the um, girls for the first time, I think, or maybe second time um, since the pandemic and everything um, a couple of weeks ago. And it happened that they booked a table at a place that we, w- we went on a really early date. And I remember f- I was there and I was texting him and I was like, I feel like there are like I can see the the ghosts of us here like I remember us being here and I remember that and like I was like it's nice it's comforting because it's like oh yeah this was a little piece of us here um but I really want that for us again I want Mm. us to have those little moments but it's just yeah we, we find it incredibly difficult to carve out the time and um childcare to to do it really mm, as do we we've we we haven't been on a date since Amandine was born so that's you know almost five years now and we just haven't give we haven't made and carved out the time for our relationship which is our fault and we need to do it um but I don't think you can underestimate we can underestimate the amount of pressure having a child puts on a relationship but saying that, that might be completely invalid comment for people listening. You might be, it might be the making of your relationship. Who knows? <laughs> this is just write in and tell opinion. us. <laughs> write in and tell us if it's the making of your relationship. I'd love. I think, yeah. I, I mean, for us, even I think sometimes I think it it is. I would. Say, we were actually talking about it last night. I asked him, you know, do you recognise us? Do we? Do you think we've changed beyond all recognition since before having children and before? We've, yeah, we've been through, you know, some ups and downs um, as a little family, especially with health things. Um, But yeah, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I guess, yeah, I think for us in some ways, we've grown up quite a lot, you know, because we're both Mm -hmm. actors as well. We are the eternal, like, there's people talk about Peter Pan syndrome, but there's not really a name for it when you're a woman. (laughs) But I think... (laughs) 
<laughs> but like we are in the eternally playful children and that's lovely and I'm and I miss that the time for that sometimes because we don't that often get to get into that kind of zone um but we but yeah parts of us parts of us have grown up a lot over the last few years and I think that probably needed to happen he I don't know, it just sounds so cliche doesn't it but I do feel like he it's not like he makes it's such like it's such a cliche like he makes me a better person like I don't know if that's exactly what I mean but I mean that there are times where like my old stuff might come up um especially at the moment like being pregnant and being feeling more vulnerable and and not working so much right now because my work just always kind of sort of dries up when I'm um pregnant because my industry is just notoriously not really family friendly um and so yeah it can just feel like a more vulnerable time for me and I've definitely had a few vulnerable moments that have sort of taken me back to parts of myself that are probably quite young and -hmm. probably and in those moments in this relationship with him he's very kind to me it's really I'm trying to think of like I would be too specific but um yeah I had a real like real insecure wobble recently and he is the last person to be like don't be so dismissive he doesn't dismiss me and I think the fact that he's able to be like okay I love you what do you need to feel better in this moment is Mm. and I, I really value that so yeah he's a big part he's you know a good, yeah, I was going to say a big, but obviously he's a big part of why we work, but he's the other half of why we work because he's, um, yeah, can show compassion for me. I think in moments where maybe in previous incarnations, it might have been like, what, what are you talking about? Are you crazy? <laughs> Which uh, would have not helped me very much. <laughs> Naturally, motherhood changes you. And I think I could have possibly have done with a little bit more space for those changes to be to be acknowledge acknowledged. acknowledged. Throw a word out there. I like that word. Acknowledged is a word. word. It's a word. word. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, for those changes to be acknowledged and understood and yeah, taken on board. Because, you know, after we've (laughs) you know after we've had children we are not we cannot possibly be the same person we were before it's you know it's not i think it's pretty scientifically proven it that we're is not scientifically actually proven it's all very well talking about all this like yes we've grown together and all of this stuff but honestly when we're completely exhausted like none of that is actually possible and it's so hard um when you're in the red I think to uh find compassion for one another and Mm. all of those things that you need so definitely for us there's been moments when we're like okay I'm in the red here (laughs) like like this morning Isla had been up for some reason I don't I think she may be coming down with something up about every hour or two all through the night and I woke up this morning it was like uh, um I am wrecked because I I do do the wake-ups and I do settle her back to sleep cuddle her back Mm. to sleep and so um uh, yeah I was like uh, whatever we had planned for earlier today just had to go on hold and I went to bed for a couple of hours and because he's home thankfully again because we're both freelancers he has been able to just pick up the slack but um yeah being able to say what you need oh that's one thing I feel like that sort of links in relationships and sleep and all of it sometimes I feel like 
this our house is like the house of unmet needs <laughs> and that most of the issues that ever arise are to do with us not communicating what mm. we need clearly and so going along you know repressing it and you know someone asking something of one of us or the other going like yeah okay that's fine I'll do that yeah I can do that um and then later on going bang because it was just too much or it you know I don't know. So for us, that is a constant work in progress, communicating needs. And it's so hard. So true. I remember my therapist saying that to me. And I remember listening to those very words on Steph, who runs Don't Buy Her Flowers. Do you know Don't Buy Her Flowers? I do know of it. Yeah, yeah, I do. So Steph's been on the podcast, actually, and um, she talks a lot about her relationship with her husband. Um, and she's had she's done a, a whole mini series, I think, on relationships. Um, and honestly, a lot of the experts that have come on have said, you know, a lot of the issues around relationships and then breaking down when you have children is because your needs are not being met and sometimes like how can they be because you suddenly have this little person and it's their needs that Mm. are you know that become everything and so both parents kind of end up looking okay how do we fulfill the needs of this little person and then meanwhile their own needs just do not get met and and for some of us that you know for me can bring up old wounds and old pains and then it's you know then you're really into some uh difficult times so finding the language for communicating needs I feel like it's an absolute key and hearing each other's you know needs it's hard to close this one because it's not an, uh, a conversation that can just be buttoned up. I think it's, no, um, this is ongoing yeah. and for all mm. of us will just be ongoing. And I, what I hope is that we can continue to bring this conversation and revisit it and re, you know, uh, and be a space where people can feel like, do you know what? I did it my way uh, mm. without singing the song. I'm not mm. going to sing the song now. <laughs> Oh, please do <laughs> find some impact, you know, to feel empowered to do it their way because mm. it's, um, there's a, you know, it is a lot of advice out there, but feeling into what's right for you as a family, I think is just so important. Thank you for joining us as Ali and I shared our experiences of sleep with you. We hope you found value in our conversation. And if you are struggling with your little one's sleep, please know you are not alone. Ali and I will be back next week talking all things Christmas. Christmas can be magical, but it can also come with a fair amount of stress. Ali and I chat managing the in-laws, expectations, the stress we put on ourselves, traditions, merging of families and much more next week. Make sure you subscribe to Mum Talk wherever you get your podcasts so next week's episode lands straight in your ears. Please take a moment to rate and review. It makes a huge difference. And lastly, come and join our ever-growing community over at Mum Talk Podcast on Instagram.